This episode of Factitious is brought to you in partnership with Wine52. So how does free wine sound to you? Because that's exactly what the good people at Wine52 are offering Factitious listeners right now. Here is golden fact number one. All you need to do is go to wine52.com forward slash fact. That's the word wine and the numbers 52 dot com forward slash fact and cover the postage cost of just £5.95 and you'll get three bottles of wine delivered right to your door. Golden fact number two, Wine52 showcase only the very best independent winemakers on the planet. Each month they visit an exciting new region like Sicily or Bordeaux and bring back a selection of exceptional wines for their members. Join them and experience a whole new world of wine. You can even customise your case to your taste by choosing from white, red or a mixture of wines. So if you're like me and prefer a crisp cool white to a full bodied red, simply select your preference at checkout. Also included is their magazine Glug and two tasty snacks. Golden fact number three, after your first free case you'll be part of their monthly wine club. There's no minimum commitment, so you can try it and see what you think. And if it's not for you, pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's wine52.com forward slash fact to claim your case today. Welcome to Factitious, a podcast which makes you question what you know and almost certainly go away knowing something you didn't know before. I'm Tom Harrison and I'm joined as always by Rob Graham. Hello. And as always on Factitious, each week one of us will take on the role of the expert, the teacher, trawling through little known facts about a range of topics, teaching the other using our three golden facts designed to shock, surprise and wow our student, which this week is Rob. Back in the hot seat, Um, the cold seat. (laughs) Yes, and this week I'm going to be teaching you all about Alexander the Great, one of sort of history's famous leaders, I guess. Um, So let's just not not mess around. (laughs) What can you tell me about Alexander the Great? Do you know how great he is? I'm not going to wow you with my knowledge of Alexander (laughs) the Great by any means. Um, I know a little bit about him. I know he was king of ancient like Macedonia. Yeah, very Couldn't good. Really put on a timeline where he comes. I feel like he's BC, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but I couldn't tell you where, where if where he fits on that. Um, he he conquered a a ton of places. He started. I feel like he did. He go east and then come back west. Yes, he did go yeah. quite far east actually, I which we will get onto. Something about him something with India so I figure he'd gone he'd gone out in that direction very good um, but yeah I, I can't really place where he fits in the general scheme of history like I always think about him as being obviously old like pre <laughs> pre Christ yeah um, but I always think of him being this all powerful conqueror in the same way that I think of like Genghis Khan as being Sure. An all-powerful conqueror, but I think Genghis Khan was much later. I feel like Genghis Khan was definitely AD. Yeah, I um, believe, yeah, Genghis Khan, I think, might be one of the, probably top five, like, largest empires yeah. ever. Yeah, I probably should have checked this before I started <laughs> recording and started talking about Genghis Khan. 
But yeah, I I feel like that's where I put him into that sort of bracket. But I know that Genghis Khan is sort of re- reviewed more as a bit of a crazy a nasty piece of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just re- I'm just reading Genghis Khan. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely AD. Definitely AD. Yeah. I don't feel so bad in. <laughs> my dad's not going to shout at me for my lack of knowledge <laughs> on the podcast again. Fair enough. Cool. Well, what I thought we would do as a sort of one-off for this week. I just thought, given his name, Alexander the Great, obviously the Great is not his surname, but uh, I thought I would kind of... I'll tell you what I've managed to find about him, and then I'm going to let you decide whether he's worthy of the name the Great. Oh, Um, a little bit like Evil Genius. Kind of, yeah. And if you decide maybe he wasn't so great, you can perhaps come up with an alternative. Alexander the OK. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm going to run you through, got my three golden facts, a little bit of sort of fluff stuff, um, and then, yeah, you can sort of sentence the man. We're going to find out how, how great this bloke really okay. is. Sorry, Alexander. This is why we only <laughs> do people that are not alive anymore yes. in this program. <laughs> so, we're going to get into golden fact number one, which isn't perhaps too surprising, given that you've you kind of got a decent knowledge of the fact that he kind of went eastward and conquered a lot of places. So it might not be so surprising to learn that he was arguably the greatest military leader of all time. And it's probably you know, going to be up for debate. There are other great um, military leaders um, in history. But by earning the title The Great and going down in history, I know there are a few others. I think there's a Frederick the Great um, and, and Catherine a few the Great. others. Yeah, so there are, it's not an exclusive title for Alexander, but I mean... Alfred of, of British King fame as well. Yes, very true. So yeah, it's not a, you know entirely you know single member club, but um, I think that goes a long way. It says a lot. Um, but it's also interesting that he remained undefeated in battle his entire career as i say he didn't die on the battlefield um it was only through his illness and his great empire which i'll go on to a little bit later conquered a lot of places obviously and he was regularly outnumbered and it was his he was a fantastic tactician um and many of his strategies are still taught to this day which i thought considering over two thousand years ago and the way that military um, strategy, but also tools have developed. That Precisely, the yeah. So I'm not so. saying it's going to be like like for life, no, no, because no. we're talking about infantrymen and spears and things. But um, interesting that kind of the tactics of positioning and dealing with terrain and things are still taught to this day. So I get onto a few of them. Using the terrain effectively was a big one, um, and he used he relied quite a lot on spies. So he'd send out, I think he had a quite a large network of spies who would track enemy positions and things, and then he would get the lay of the land. And actually, I think a lot of the opponents that he had, particularly the further east he went, they weren't sort of like in and around Greece. Everyone kind of fought the same way. They yeah. kind of taught the same way. But as you kind of go to more exotic lands, your opponents use a kind of more... Guerrilla style? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And another big weapon of his was the, the, the phalanx formation so there was something that was developed by his father but then alexander kind of like perfected it so it's if you're not heard of it and anyone's familiar with that it's basically a little bit similar to kind of like the the tortoise or like the yep. turtle formation yep. so lots of big shields in strong solid ranks and then they used a, a six meter spear called a sarisa they would kind of go between the shields and essentially they would march kind of as one unit and then stab with the spear 
um, or others would then be behind and, and over, over the, the top, top and then would, would go as well. Um, so Alexander used that to great effect. He was one of the kind of one of the only people kind of using that strategy was very much sort of their thing um, used it to great effect particularly against those opponents who were you know more disorganised yes yeah um, then his cavalry tactics so it was huge like hugely successful with his cavalry so he introduced um, the sort of like a V shape or a wedge formation so unlike as I described the, the phalanx or phalanx um, units that were kind of one solid rectangular unit his cavalry rode as a sort of like inverted v so they were kind of like an arrowhead and so that has a couple of benefits where it's easy to lead your soldiers so the commander at the front of the pack he doesn't even need to shout back to the people behind he can kind of just lead and everyone can then kind of follow as one so almost like um like birds and fish and things kind of go that way and you see it now with like plane formations don't they they kind yeah. of like the red arrows that they go in a sort of like arrowhead so it means you don't you can sort of issue like non-verbal orders very easily so everyone can see the leader at one time also allows greater flexibility because if the leader suddenly thinks we need to change the people at the back have got time to yeah feed into where he's going precisely and you're also you don't have like 10 other guys on your left and right because you're in this sort of v yeah you can kind of just you know, weave like more effectively. I was watching the. Did you watch any of the Jubilee stuff that happened last week? No. And they were doing this manoeuvre on like the bit outside Buckingham Palace where they were all trying to move round. They had to. They had to basically go like almost go through ninety, but also all turn round at the exact same point and stay in their precise formation at the same time. Oh, wow. And I was like, that must be one of the hardest things mm. to not not only have to turn yourself round but stay completely in the the lines that you're meant to be in you're basically turning round almost on like a like a center point which sounds sure. not similar to this but the same kind of issue yeah so when you're in like the, the phalanx unit and it works for that because it's big shields all together as one solid you know you kind of create that barrier yeah um but the, the downside is that yeah if you all needed to kind of disperse quickly you kind of screwed a little bit you kind of have to really rely on those shields whereas the cavalry could kind of move like they could kind of flow a little more and it also meant that if you were as a cavalry unit if you were charging an infantry unit that wedge shape kind of as i say kind of like an arrowhead so it means you can kind of pierce ranks and kind of then cut through rather than all of you just hitting like and what sort of numbers are we talking about within each of these um so i don't have like numbers per uh unit or whatever but um it was widely reported that he was quite regularly outnumbered and he would deal with you know numbers in their thousands sort of anywhere between like five and ten thousand was quite a common number i saw depending but depending on the campaign and obviously <laughs> the greater his empire and the after he conquered each place you know more, more joined his ranks had, yeah. <laughs> yeah precisely so arguably his kind of greatest tactic was a kind of combination of those two units so the cavalry and the, the phalanx so it would uh, it would be called the the hammer and anvil which is quite a cool okay. name so this is basically his greatest weapon um and it's essentially kind of the tactic that kind of made him this is what made him undefeated it was like a kind of tried and tested so it was the anvil part was formed by the foot soldiers those guys with the shields and spears they engaged the enemy on all on one side and then 
just after that, the hammer was the cavalry. They would kind of then sweep in and crash down from the other side. And so then you're rapidly surrounding the enemy, kind of taking them surprise. They're then forced to fight on two fronts. And then you just kind of crush them like a, a right. hammer and anvil. Um, and that was wildly successful. We managed to kind of pull that off every time. And I suppose back in those days, news didn't travel of how certain armies were fighting in a particular way whereas now you would not that there's much infantry fighting nowadays anymore but back yeah. in those days it's not like it would be like well the the Macedonians fight in this particular style sure. so therefore when they arrive on our shores we know how to defend against them yeah there wasn't that level they're either of all dead yeah. or they've joined your ranks yes. and they yeah, form precisely. part of the hammer or anvil yeah but yeah pretty incredible I think like you, you quite rightly pointed out that yeah now the tech and the weaponry is is vastly different yeah. so we're not relying on i mean there are some places that still use well, the cavalry and you think i think the ukraine war that's at the time of recording still going on doesn't doesn't sound like it's going to end anytime soon sure. i think we were anticipating that it wasn't going to be an infantry war it wasn't going to be a land war it was going to be an an, an air and nuclear war wasn't it well actually there's been a lot more fighting on the ground than we anticipated there would yes. be a lot more yeah, precisely. So it's still interesting that I think there is, I mean, I'm no military expert or whatever, but it, it's not like there are still elements of that that you could be, you know, you could probably um, use to this day. Mm. The kind of the, the sweeping and the surprising and the flanking and things like that. And no one's figured it out in two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe that's as good as it gets, the hammer and anvil. But another reason he was wildly successful is that he had the fierce loyalty of his troops. So... As I say, Alexander went on a big conquering spree, which I'll touch on a little bit more later. And so as his army, um, as his empire grew, his army grew, and his army was then made up of a lot of... It was a very diverse army, a lot of different men from different backgrounds. They spoke different languages. They came from different cultures and things. But Alexander was kind of wise to this, that he knew this could potentially be a problem. If you ask... You know, you win a few battles in Greece and then you go and conquer in Iraq and then you get the Iraqis to join you and then go, right, now let's go on to India or whatever. You know, hang on a minute, you were, you killed my brother or whatever. Like, yeah. you, have, you know, you could have issues there or just differences in culture. Like, you know, we still unfortunately see to this day. But he was very aware of that. Um, and one of the main tactics he used, he was a very good speech giver for one. Um, but the main thing was that he personally got involved in battles, so he wasn't the sort of the general on the hill on a big fancy horse. Oh, he kind rode of. into battle with He them. was right there with them, kind of like almost leading the charge. Um, and so his soldiers essentially kind of admired his willingness to kind of get stuck in, put his life on the line, yeah. and kind of... You knew then that you weren't just being... You, know, you hear these horrible stories in like World War One, where it's like... You go over the top. You're cannon fodder. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's just awful. Whereas he wasn't, he kind of thought, well, if he's going with me, he thinks that... He must think we're going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all in this together. So very, very inspiring. Um, inspiring or just reckless? <laughs> well, that is another thing. So he, while I say he was undefeated in battle, and, you know, it wasn't through battle that he died, but he definitely took multiple wounds yeah and people kind of saw him take you know his fair shares of cuts and bruises and things um and you know some of his other generals and things did kind of go 
you're a bit mad here, like you don't need to be doing this. Um, but he seemed to, which isn't really surprising, like the more you conquer, the the longer you go undefeated, you start to think you're invincible. And also, presumably, the more people see you as as a scalp to beat. Mm. It's like a bit in football, isn't it? Where the longer a team's unbeaten run keeps going, the bigger deal is going to be when somebody finally beats them. Even though it's inevitable, you, you're you're and well, he did send a few, but he died. Yeah, like when you think about teams that go through a ridiculous amount of games unbeaten in football, there's then a real scalp for the the team that does beat them. Mm. It's a real, even more achievement, even though it's just a standard game. So I'm guessing people wanted to be the people that defeated Alexander the Great as much as anything. Sure, yeah, I think everyone could kind of, while you say perhaps you wouldn't, countries weren't able to kind of wise up on his tactics as such, but everyone kind of knew Alexander was coming. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. he kind of went across continents. And also, I think it is worth pointing out, as I said earlier, like, he died at the age of about 32, 33 or so. You also kind of have, and he became king at 20, you kind of have this sort of youthful, maybe arrogance, I'm not, I'm not sure, I didn't know him personally, but I think it's quite common, isn't it, when you're young, you kind of, you feel a bit invincible, mm. and the more you kind of win and win and win, I think he kind of threw himself into battle in perhaps ways that, you know, he could have perhaps been a little bit more cautious and maybe didn't need to put himself in certain positions. Um, but his soldiers really took to that and were kind of willing to go over the top with him. So yeah, he was kind of essentially acknowledged as a bit of a military genius who kind of always led by example. Golden fact number two is that we've kind of touched on it a fair bit already actually, but it's that the fact that between the ages of 20 and 30, so in just 10 years, Alexander the Great created one of the largest empires in history. And I wanted to put another question to you, and to myself actually, is that as men who have both very recently turned 30... <laughs> how do we compare how, how, our yeah. achievements? <laughs> and that, how do we feel that someone our age, admittedly 2,000 years ago, has created one of the kind of largest dynasties of all time? <laughs> I find it really, really hard, maybe slightly reductive, to compare my age and my success to other people of a similar age. Because I look at people like... Justin Bieber, I know he wasn't a military <laughs> power, but like he was a vastly, vastly wealthy person before he'd hit puberty. Mm. You look at like YouTubers who are massively famous and massively rich before yeah. they're eighteen. So I can't really compare my success. I mean, <laughs> I haven't conquered half the world, and people do great things at young ages. And I think fair play to him for having the whatever it was that gave him the power over all these people who there was presumably there was a vast range of ages of people that were within his military service there would tend to be younger people I'd imagine I but... presume I suppose life expectancy probably you know is a yeah. lot lower than it is now but you're right I think definitely going to be people older than you know that 20 to 30 yeah I just thought it was interesting I think you're right, it's, you know, it's different eras. I, for me, it always seems like whenever I'm watching football, and it's like, when I watch Jude Bellingham, it's like he's 18, I'm like, oh, for God's sake. I read something on Facebook this morning that said the people that are born today, a lot of, a lot of children who are born today's parents weren't alive when the first Shrek film came out, and that oh. hit me really hard. Yes. Oh. Shrek came out in 2001. That is... Oh, that is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I sometimes do sit there and I go, 
there's people like Jude Bellingham, and I'm like, you're you're not that much. You're not that much too young. Like, if I was a couple of years older, I'd be old enough to be your dad. Mm. And I'm like, you're playing professional football for yeah. your country, and I'm sitting here eating a packet of Doritos <laughs> and having a beer. So, yeah, um, as I say, one of the largest empires ever created. At the time, it was the second largest empire to have existed. Um, today, unfortunately, I'm not sure if that's the right <laughs> word, um, today it ranks as the 23rd largest. So he's, you know bigger empires have certainly been born um, since but interestingly that it was the second largest empire at the time but he built it off the back of destroying the largest which was the first persian empire so he defeated the persians they kind of crumbled away and then he kind of although he never went as large as them because i say let's turn back um he kind of took their place. Um, right, okay. I think he had eyes on going greater than them. So what's the largest empire of all time? Did you make note of that when you took the 23rd? The largest, you might be proud or maybe not oh, the proud, British empire, is yeah. the British Empire, yeah, which actually quite vastly outdoes... Well, we had a quarter of that. I say we. I don't want to... <laughs> got to be careful what I say here because we've got listeners all over the world and I'm very, like, anti-colonial. <laughs> but... We had like a quarter of the globe at one point. I think it's yeah, it's something like I think it's twenty something percent. I think it's like the low twenties mm. percent. Yeah, it quite incredible. And that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> no, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and now they all hate us. <laughs> yes, moving swiftly on. <laughs> so yeah, so basically Alexander led his army about eleven thousand miles. We started in. Macedonia and sort of ancient Greece area. Um, so his empire stretched across three continents, covered around two million square miles. Um, and so this goes from Greece in the west to north to the, the Danube, um, south into Egypt as well. I was well. about to say, what's the third continent? Yep, so yeah, uh, Europe, Africa, and yeah. Asia. Um, and then as you points out at the beginning he went further east um, and ended up in India as, as well as far as the Ganges yes I think it was uh, yeah near the Ganges is where the troops kind of down tools yeah. and, and they decided to pack it in and so yeah three continents and essentially this empire then becomes a vast kind of international network of trade and lots of cultures blending and things yeah. so I think one of his big legacies is that actually a lot of the culture that is still there to this day is kind of because oh, he wow. kind of connected all of these people that would kind of normally have no reason to mix. Yeah. You kind of get whether they're in the army or whether they're just trading with towns yeah. that perhaps they would stay clear of before. He named 20 cities after himself. I think more than 20, actually. I don't have a full well, list. Alexandria, presumably being the most famous. Very good, which is in... Well, in fairness, there are quite a lot of cities called Alexandria, but the famous one that you must be thinking of... Iraq? No. It's in... Oh, Egypt. Egypt. Very good. Um, Interestingly, home to both the lighthouse of Alexandria, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient Mm. world, um, and then also the Great Library of Alexandria, um, which was once sort of known, quite widely regarded as kind of like the the knowledge capital of the world. So quite a legacy, and while he yeah named, I think yeah, about twenty or so cities named after him. I think he founded, I think somewhere in the region of about seventy wow. or so, where he was the founder. So by the age of twenty-five, he was known as the young king of Macedonia, leader of the Greeks, 
overlord of Asia Minor, pharaoh of Egypt, and great king of Persia, which I thought had some very kind of strong any Game of Thrones fans, like some Daenerys Targaryen, breaker of chains, mother of dragons, (laughs) some strong Daenerys energy going on right there. You'd just chuck in a couple of names yourself there, wouldn't you? See if anyone noticed. So, <laughs> he's not coming up with all of those titles. They're titles that are being given to him. I presume so, yeah. Supreme Lord of the Air. <laughs> Intergalactic. Sorry, Alexander, what did you say? <laughs> I want to be known as Chief of the Universe. No, 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 that's not happening. So, yeah, quite... I think, particularly in Egypt, I think they almost kind of worshipped him as a bit of a godlike Well, you just figure. said he was Pharaoh, so... Mm. Yeah, They, they did true. worship yes. the Pharaohs as gods, didn't they? yeah. So, very long, extensive list mm. of quite glorious titles. By the age of 25, you must think your ego must go through the yeah. roof. <laughs> and you're just chasing the next title. Yeah, or well, maybe it yeah. is that. you kind of just got to ride that high as long as you can. I don't know. Which leads us on to golden fact number three. Alexander the Great. More like Alexander the Cruel. I said to you, I was going to let you decide whether how great he was. And so, while Alexander may have been a truly masterful military leader, king, you know, leader of men, whatever, he certainly had a bit of a mean streak in him. So, as I said earlier, Alexander, at the age of 20, finds himself king, quite unexpectedly, after the assassination of his father. He doesn't waste any time, though, and he starts by immediately eliminating other potential rivals to the throne. So, basically... Philip II had eight wives. Right, who all had kids. Kids with... I'm not sure whether he had kids with all of them, but he certainly had kids with multiple. Um, And so while Alexander was kind of like the standout, like, male heir... There were always going to be competition. Yeah, Yeah, certainly. So he started by having his cousin executed straight off the bat. (laughs) Like, you're not going to mess around with me. He also had two other Macedonian princes, sort of like from other regions. So, like ancient Greece and stuff is made up of like other sort of like city states, isn't it? And things. So, I think Macedonia was similar. So, two Macedonian princes also killed. He spared a third. I think perhaps the two, you kind of make your point. Yeah. <laughs> the other two. Um, he also ordered the murder of a commander called Attalus. Um, so he was in command of the advanced guard in the army of Asia Minor, um, but he had publicly humiliated Alexander at one of Alexander's fathers, Philip's, one of his other weddings, a wedding to someone after his mother. Um, and that wife was Atalus's niece. And he, at the wedding, made a big speech and kind of went on about how he hoped that they had a son who would be... Philip's grand heir and so Alexander took that as a very public slight yes, against yeah. him so uh, a little bit of revenge I think you might regret making that speech so he's dead um, and it wasn't just him his mother had a bit of a mean streak in her as well and she decided to kill that wife who the Atalus had made the, the speech about and also killed her daughter who is sort of her like a uh, I'm not quite sure what the relationship is of so yeah. a wife after you, but essentially his her former husband's daughter, um, or maybe they were married at the same time. I'm not quite sure what clear when you have when you have eight wives, yeah. they probably overlap quite a bit. Um, so she had them burned alive, which is got to make sure they're dead. 
egregious, yes. I would say. Um, but that wasn't on... Was that on Alexander's command? It was not, which is interesting. So Alexander found out about that. Apparently he was furious with her. Because he wanted to do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, so I don't know whether... Maybe she just did that. Maybe she's just bitter rivalry with this former wife or whatever. Or maybe yeah. she was kind of looking for Alexander and kind of wanting to, you know, help him kind of stake his claim. Um, so, yeah, lots of killing of people quite near and, I mean, not quite so dear. Um, so, yeah, Alexander kind of removed quite a few of the immediate threats. And then he kind of wanted to make a statement of like, I. Uh, I'm in charge now, I'm only 20, people might look at me as a bit of a rookie king or whatever, so I need to kind of make a quick statement. So he decided to storm the city of Thebes, which was sort of in like a a bit of a state of rebellion. So he immediately went there and kind of squashed that rebellion yeah. and kind of put them all in their place. So pretty ruthless. He kind of got to work quite quickly. Um, and it just made me think, I don't know what you're... You, quite a history buff aren't you so you don't really see that now i know sort of kings and queens aren't kind of what they used to be but history is just full of people who are quite happy to kill their relatives to become king or to even i think alexander was kind of he was the first in line but to even just like any chance of someone upsetting that he'd kill his family i just think that we live in a time and we're also not in a position of power and i think <laughs> people are power hungry people are despotic when it comes to becoming hungry for power and they will do whatever it takes on even a micro level to get to hang on to power because mm. like i said we've never been people who are high up on the the relative food chain in terms of powerful things. But once you get into that position of power, you don't want to ever lose the benefits of having it. If you think even on a smaller level, like in British politics nowadays, and we don't want to become an overtly political podcast, but you've got somebody who has waited their entire political career to become the Prime Minister. Sure. Is clearly now not wanted... By the majority of the British public and by the majority... Well, not by the majority, but by 40% of his Same party people, yeah. don't want him to be the Prime Minister. But he will just hang on. He can't he, kill that 40%. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, that's the difference. But he can make their life hell in a different way. Whereas yeah. you didn't have those options because the political system wasn't as, as advanced in 300 BC. Yeah, and even point. in 1500 AD. Sure. The best way of getting rid of those people was easily just to to kill them. And what are you going to do to me? I'm the king. Yeah, that's true. Because like, if <laughs> like I said, if Queen Elizabeth II has decided to kill someone, we'd all be like, mm, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like there would be consequences for her. Whereas, yeah, kings could just. D- yeah, what are you going to do to heads. me? Yeah. Henry VIII literally decided to form an entirely new church because he wanted to get married. Mm. And no one stopped him no. because he was King Henry VIII. But yeah, the power dynamic is just, you're right, it's almost alien. And I think at a time when killing is just every day, yeah. it's, yeah, I guess it's just not a, a big a deal. But I think your question is interesting that, like, killing the relatives, I think, is what makes it more. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine any position. Hi, Becky and Matt, my cousins, if you're listening, I can't imagine killing them. For 
any reason. It just sounds so... But if you became king of Peterborough... <laughs> and They you... don't live in Peterborough, it's fine. They're no threat to my reign. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But, like, if you became king of an area and all the benefits that came with being vastly wealthy, vastly politically important, a, a job that you are never, like, you are going mm. to have... As long as you are alive, you need to hold on to that position of power. And the way, the way that you're going to lose that position of power is through your death, which could come naturally, or by somebody trying to kill you. So you've got to kill that person because if you don't kill that person, that person's going to kill you. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that uh, it's a tough one though, isn't it? Because if Becky that's... and Matt wanted to become King of Peter, <laughs> then they might try to kill you and the only way you can stop them doing that is to chop their heads off. Sorry, Becky and Matt. (laughs) Then you'd do it, wouldn't you? No comment. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so yeah, there there we have it. Basically, that is everything I have on Alexander. Um, So, a fascinating, masterful, smart, courageous, brave, vicious bloodthirsty, cruel man. I think he's got the title of the great. But is he great? You think yes. Because great doesn't necessarily imply good, does it? We're thinking about great True. being something that's a good. Great just means powerful in that instance. He was great because he was brilliant. Like, look at him. Yes, he did it in a very cutthroat way. Well, Golden Fact number three certainly leads <laughs> us to believe that it was sort of a cutthroat way. But what he did was great. Yeah, he's built a legacy. He has connected cultures. He has transformed, yeah, like cross continents. And that those effects last yeah. until today. The immediate thought in my mind when I was thinking about that great thing was um, Tom and I are both Harry Potter. Fans. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> but there's a line in Harry Potter where I think, is it, is it Ollivander? Yeah. Who basically says. Um, Voldemort did great things terrible but great <laughs> like great is just they are immense yes rather than necessarily the moral yeah the semantics are slightly changed now great is good and cool yeah. sort of now is he great it? was he a good person probably not but there were anyone who was doing that sort of thing and going around killing people yeah. for power Everyone's probably isn't it. And I think there's been a lot, and whilst we were recording, I sort of had a quick look to see what the consensus was on the internet about whether should Alexander the Great be still referred to as the Great. People like, he should be Alexander the Murderer. (laughs) And I think that's just maybe a reflection on like 2022 culture of being like, anyone who's done something, and I'm not turning into Piers Morgan. (laughs) Gets cancelled. Yeah, but like there is an element where it's, oh, he killed a few people. Basically every single person in history... Of that yeah. ilk, I'm not talking like a blacksmith from Surrey. <laughs> has they all killed people to get into power? Yes. They all killed people to remain in power, and the world in those days was about it was it was very feudal, wasn't it? Sure. You 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 gained power by eliminating the people that could take your power from you. Yeah, and that's what he did. He only did what everybody else was doing. He just from what you've said from Golden Fat Number One. And two, he just did it a lot better than everybody else did. Sure. And nobody could stop him. Okay. Long live Alexander yeah. the Great. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame almost. Like, it's interesting. Like, undefeated in battle, and you wonder whether he'd live to 40, 50, whether that defeat would ever have 
come, it's kind of it's almost like his legacy is kind of it's reaffirmed by the fact that he died in his early thirties. Oh yeah, he's yeah. these people who are actually held up as these untouchable mm. heroes. They're revered even more so because we didn't know them for very long. Yeah, like what could they have achieved? Yeah, it almost kind yeah, of yeah, absolutely. You think about people like Kurt Cobain and. Was Hendrix in the 27 Club as well? Uh, I think he might have been. So all of those sort of people who we think about as being great, like, but their life was just cut so short. So yeah, unfortunately after his death, it's worth pointing out that his empire quite quickly crumbled without the fierce leader at the top that everyone's terrified of. The, the empire broke out, like the various states within it kind of broke out into various civil wars and yeah. things and it all just kind of fell apart as these things do. Which again adds to the fact that he was great because yeah. it was his influence that was he keeping the stuff together. Yeah, um, Very good point. Uh, I wanted to, before we finish, I did want to um, comment. So our patron, genius tier patron, Stuart Hill, um, asked me uh, a question about Alexander the Great. But unfortunately, Stuart, I think I think you might have mistaken Alexander. Um, so Stuart wanted me to look into, apparently, that Alexander tracked across the Alps. Um, and he asked that this is something that Napoleon did later on. But unfortunately, I found a record of Alexander kind of heading like that far west his main expansion was was eastwards um so i did see references though to hannibal making quite a famous trek across the alps yeah when i read stuart's question on the patron i presumed that he'd muddled it up with yeah i think you might be thinking of hannibal stuart um also, I quickly then kind of started reading a little bit about him, and I thought, "Oh, hang on a minute, That's, that could be a, a whole another episode." Um, so, if you if you want to, maybe we can do if we get to H, we can do Hannibal sometime. Yeah. So we'll keep that in mind. Um, but if you'd like to know more, Stuart, have a look at Hannibal, and you can find all about the trek across the Alps. So, yeah, that kind of brings us to the end. I've then. really enjoyed that. There's there's a lot to unpick with Alexander the Great. There's a lot aside from whether he's great or not. Okay, well, interesting. Yeah. Alexander the Great gets your approval. Brilliant. Um, And that brings us to the end then. So how can people get in touch with us? They can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at FactitiousPod. You can find us on Facebook on FactitiousPodcast and email FactitiousPodcast at gmail.com. But we also have a Patreon account, which we do. I will put a link in the description, so it's widely available. But um, yeah... Go check out our Patreon if you're at all interested in supporting the podcast. We've got three different tiers um, offering a range of benefits. It's like a monthly subscription and you can get ad-free early access um, episodes. You can get um, access to Factitious Plus, which has a load of bonus content, um, sometimes twice as much. Um, and then you can also, our genius tier, you've probably heard Stuart's name each week for a while now. You can kind of get involved ask questions, suggest topics for future episodes and things. Um, So if you're interested in that, then check out the link in the description below. Cool. So that was my last one for Series A. I am all A'd out, as it were, which leaves us to you to kind of bring us home for Series A. And at the time of recording, I haven't haven't got a topic, so... Okay, so so a surprise for next week. Yeah, um... Gotta make it a good one, Season Ender. Well, if you want to know before it comes out, then maybe, yeah, stay tuned to all those social channels that Rob shouted out. And, uh, yeah, you might be able to know before before it goes live. And please, if you get the chance when you're listening, and we do have a fair few people who have assumed to have picked up the podcast in the past sort of couple of weeks. We've certainly seen a, a good growth in the amount of weekly listeners. 
please, please leave us a review if you can. Whether or not it's five star, we're not going to be those people who are going to say, you must give us a five star review. I will. (laughs) (laughs) But it really helps us gain um, like noticeability on podcast platforms it doesn't have to be a written one i know on spotify i don't think you can leave written ones i think you can only leave like a rating like a rating and we've had we've had 15 ratings on spotify so far so there are people listening to us and 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 reviewing us we've got an average rating of 4.8 on spotify which i keep those pretty chuffed with (laughs) um but you can also do it on apple Podcasts as well so we've started picking up a few reviews we've only got seven reviews on that so far solid five out of five everyone who's rated us five out of five one of them is probably my mum so (laughs) that's six so yeah it it takes just a second you're already on the app you're listening to it so just scroll down and yeah and give us a tap if you'd be so kind yeah it does really really help us out um but yeah with all that said I think that brings us to the end of Alexander the Great look forward to next week it's the last episode we'll talk about you know what's going to happen after that and series A wonder what letter we'll do next <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we'll talk all about that next week but uh, yeah thank you very much for joining me Rob thank you thank you for everyone listening bye bye